So a very good day. Welcome to the podcast. It is the 8th of August here in Spain. It is roasting hot. Unlike the UK, we have had uh, more than two days of this uh, incessant 35 upwards degrees. Uh, it is really, really hot. And uh, basically, uh, we certainly know when it's hot. So let's go down the coast uh, around about an hour towards Benidorm. And I should find Neil. Very good day to you, Neil. Uh, Neil. Neil, have you been out walking this morning? I've been out walking this morning, but I were also golfing yesterday Oof. in that heat. Whoa, it were blistering hot. Oh, yeah. Bit, bit too hot for me. Yeah. Right? And did you play well? Yeah, we were lucky. We got we got buggies, and we had no fronts in them. So the the, the only bit of you know pl- pleasure driving in it was when we got the breeze coming through the window in front of us. Every time we got out and walked to the it were absolutely blistering. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got uh, as usual as ever. We've got plenty to talk about, and um, we'll start off with this story. Okay, in fact, we'll start with this one here. Let me just make, just made a quick adjustment. Okay, so the story I'm reading is right off today's press. Fury, as council spends a million pound on a £100 a week traveller site, which has never been used as residents blast the two-acre ex-landfill plot with CCTV, laundry and washing facilities. An absolute joke. This is Wolverhampton Council. And um, the two-acre former landfill site in Gorsebrook Road is yet to be used. Um, the locals believe it's due to the £100 a week cost and £250 deposit requirement. So uh, it seems once again that um, behind the scenes um, something's going on. I mean, my immediate thought behind this one will be it's there, but uh, don't be surprised if the travellers happen to be travelling uh, from the coast of France coming upwards that way. So that's the way I see that. What do you think? Well, I mean, there are like saying, you know, it's not been used yet or anything like that. But say, like, 150 caravans come on and this, that and the other, they'll all be going berserk about it, you know. You know what they like? They leave all the rubbish everywhere and this, that, and the other, and then just move on probably without paying the, you know, the site fees or whatever. Well, but I mean, they, some, of these, some of these councils just waste more money than soft mick. They, they do, but I mean, I'm thinking there's a little bit more behind this because um, 
uh, let's see what the, the locals are saying. Uh, not only does the council spend uh, nearly £1 million of our money on a site to help illegal travellers, no one even uses it. Your average illegal traveller isn't exactly going to be willing to cough up hundreds of pounds when there's a park down the road worth they can pitch up for free. Yet again, the council have gone off uh, and gone soft on travellers who invade our parks and open spaces at the expense of law-abiding citizens. And um, uh, mother of three, Deborah Craig, a 40-year-old, said a building, uh, a site where you're asking travellers to pay hundreds of pounds was always a cracker's idea to me. Uh, I agree with her there, don't you? I'm 100% with her, yeah. You see, there's never any consultation. They just sort of pass it through these meetings when it's not a public meeting, it's just a council meeting. And, and then all them on the council think, well, that's fine then, yeah. No, hang on, it's not fine. You do, You probably don't live anywhere near it. You know, just keep throwing money willy-nilly and then they'll be after more handouts from government because, you know, we've had to spend this on this illegal, uh, this, you know, people, probably illegals that are coming and staying at it. No, it's all wrong. You should have a public inquiry onto it about spending people's money that's hard-earned when we've had to do it all our lives go out and earn it and now they get, they'll probably they'll probably open it and not even charge anything that that's the other problem you'll probably get beside the trouble and all that lot yeah i see the thing is uh as somebody says one of the um comments underneath who is the king of morons at the council who signed off the check so realistically that's the problem isn't it if you never sort of yeah. immediately see who is actually authorizing the payments then, you know, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to actually um, uh, lay the blame on somebody's door. Uh, but again, you see, uh, again, looking at another uh, blazing saddle from Manchester says, yet again, these decision makes, uh, makers will likely be from a university background. What we need are people with a, a real grasp of common sense. If we took that um, comment on board, that does seem to be part of the problem that you've got people going on to councils and making decisions, um, they obviously are really people that mustn't be looking at their own money and thinking, hang on, um, I need this much money for the gas, the lighting, the electricity, in a general sense. I mean, you know, they, they can't be making those type of decisions, can they? No. No, because it's not their money. So if anything goes wrong... Oh well, that's that's it. You know, it weren't it weren't my money, so I'm not I'm okay. I'm not too bad with that. You know, no, that's what I'm saying. When they come to decisions like that, it should be the people that are around that area that get to that meeting and vote on it. Never mind Joe Bloggs, who's chairman of the committee, and he's signing a million pound checks and God knows what out. No, it's not your money. It's our money, and we need to put it to better use to help the people that live round here. Yeah. You know, they make me they make me think of these what's the names these councillors. You know, you, you try you try and put an extension on your house, and it takes for about twelve months for it to make a decision. Hang on, it's our house, the land we, we own is our house. Oh no, but with a with one of these, we'll spend a million quid on a big two, uh, two acre site, and we'll put showers and this that and the other in. It costs us a million quid. Oh, that, that'll be all right. Well, no. No, the council needs shaking. They need their heads shaking. Although this isn't part of this particular article, 
Um, you know, I keep reading about f- uh, the numbers of people who are coming up and obviously are staying in the country uh, illegally. And it looks like nothing is being done again. And funny enough, I read yesterday, I can't remember where I read this, and it's to do with uh, Italy have got exactly the same problem. And uh, they've got a new right-wing politician who's saying, you know, uh, keep all those people that are illegal back in Africa. They shouldn't be going into Italy, you know. Yeah, well... You're only making problems for yourself, aren't you? You know, all these, you know, all these lot are saying, yeah, well, we'll just welcome anybody and this and the other. But it's normally them that don't live anywhere near it that make them all. So when, when the problems all start to kick up and if you're going to be staying there permanent, you know, where's the infrastructure for schools, hospitals, doctor's appointments, you know, all that lot. No, nobody looks at it in an open thing. No, we'll just get it done. You know, all these do-gooders that go on marches and this, that and the other. Yeah, because it won't affect you lot. It's affecting somebody else. I found, I found something else that was uh, very interesting yesterday, which was basically to do with these electric cars, which we've spoken about in the past. And it's the guy, um, Dale Vince, I think his name is, who is associated with uh, one of the football clubs, Forest Green. And, uh, I mean, basically, he was a traveller, and now he's part of uh, this business of trying to make everybody um, drive these electric cars, which I think a lot of people are now beginning to um, uh, see that there must be uh, some way that um, something's driving this. I mean, I did a podcast yesterday uh, with um, the, the background to the electric car. You know, they've been around since the 1820s, and... I got to thinking, the more I looked at this, I was the more I was thinking that, you know, during the uh, miners' strike of 1972, maybe it was more about things like the production of the electric, not the production of the coal that that was about. You know, it just, it just makes you think there's a different perspective that we weren't discussing at the time, you know. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, you, you know my thing. I've worked with batteries all my life, you know, at chloride, exide. You know, I've worked there for 30 years. And the milk floats and miners cap lamps and I've done submarines, injector seats and all the things for MOD. This electric car thing, for one, there's not enough infrastructure anywhere near. And when it, when they do conk out, you've got to have a generator that's run by petrol or diesel to charge them back up because there's not enough electricity to, to get going. And him that you're talking about at Forest Green, he, he's, he's, he's telling everybody that we're now near enough sufficient with, with the floodlights and the watering of the thing. And the, No, he's not. He's nowhere near that. And all he's gone on now is they're, they're eating just uh, veggie foods and veggie burgers and this, that and the other. And now if a player signs and we give him a car, we'll give him an electric car. Well, that's fine. Yeah. But... It, there's just not enough infrastructure anywhere. And lithium is one of the most poisonous things. And I thought I'd just tell you this. Last week in Pollock, two electric cars set on fire outside the Panaderia, right on the main road. Boom, bang, pair of them. Wow. Burnt to a cinder. Now, Tes- Tesla are not telling you that they've had hundreds and hundreds of them yeah. that have set on fire. And, he's, and, and all that smoke that comes out of it is lithium, which is poisonous. You know, 
it, it's, it's, yeah, they make me they make me laugh with this electric thing. Milk floats, yes. All you did were plug them in yep. to a normal, you know, thirteen amp plug yes. at night, and then it, that, they're okay for little short journeys. You know, yep. your milk floats and this, that, and the other. Yeah. When you're going on holiday, whoa, that's going to be a massive problem for you. If I want to go to Portugal, I'm going to have to have four stops, get to Portugal charge it up, and then start my way back if I'm only having a seven-day thing. So I'm not getting to Portugal and having an holiday. I'm just worried about where the, where the next plug-in point is. OK, back to uh, the script then. I've got the next one lined up. Stand by. Okay, you'll see through this straight away. Furious residents in London and Kent have hit out at their water companies after their roads were turned into rivers when a burst main caused four foot of flooding and two sinkholes to form. Uh, And then streets in Dartford in Kent and close to Arsenal Stadium in Islington, North London, were flooded with water cascading through the streets. And homes and businesses left without supply after burst mains caused chaos. Cars were submerged, residents were urged to move to higher ground and businesses were facing enforced closures as more than 70 firefighters battled to rein in the, co- uh, the rapidly rising water levels which reached four feet. One local said that their business was hit with a tsunami of water at around 7am. And the situation was worsening at midday. London Fire Brigade later warned the deep flooding had caused two sinkholes in the local area. Another furious resident tweeted, This is bonkers. Do any residents have water? Hornsey Road underwater. What a thing. Yet over the weekend, Thames Water, the UK's largest water company, whose boss, Sarah Burtonley, earns £2 million a year, plus a bonus this recent of 727,000, asked customers in London to conserve water by using a uh, can instead of a hose in the garden and taking shorter showers. The company was also accused of shutting down on emergency drought plant uh, in East London to save on power costs. The desalination facility at Beckton takes water from the Thames and treats it to create drinking water, but it is currently out of action. It comes as Thames Water was today accused of hypocrisy after demanding its its 15 million customers cut water. Um, Okay, you can gather the rest. Uh, I mean, we hear this time and time again, usually about this time of the year, don't we? Yeah. Uh, You know, we're, we're having this horsepipe ban and this, that and the other and all that. Now, if all the water, uh, all the water firms, you know, the south, north, east, west, West Yorkshire, wherever, all over UK, went and, um, and stopped all them ma- minor leaks, you wouldn't be getting to this situation. But you, you can go down any road and there'll be, there'll be some, uh, you know, waterworks uh, with, with a burst pipe here, there and everywhere. But and then it takes them forever to to fix it in in a small hole or whatever, and then you get these as you say sinkholes, and all the roads are, are out, and then all the, the houses get flooded because it's like oh well we'll get to it when we've got a minute, you know it, they make me laugh these companies, you, you've got it it's like having a house you can't just leave your house and not not do any you know like 
minor repairs here, there, and everywhere, or repainting, you know, your, your gates or your, your windows or whatever, because all of a sudden they just all collapse. So you, you need to spend the money because they make enough money, as you say, him that's on that, that type of money, that's just ridiculous because he'll not be there with his wellies on and seeing what's happening and this, that and the other. Well, to see, they, they all really need to get their act together. To see that she's already earning two million and then getting a bonus yeah. of £272,000. Uh, you see, you see this sort of nonsense all the time. It's almost as if now, you know, people will not do anything about it. And realistically, um, if you're not going to bring the chief executive to book, who are you going to bring to book? Oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They, they, they get up there and, and you know, the, the, the marble towers and they sit up there and everything gets passed down and then passed down further and then passed down again and then the workers have got to go. But they, they don't set a plan out. To, to go and check where, where these things might, you know, where a burst might happen. You know, it's like you, you look around your house, don't you, and you think, well, I'm going I'm going to need a new settee, Charlie. This is getting a bit old, you know, and so you, you, you move that one out and you fetch a new one in. But it's only the same. You've got to keep up the maintenance of everything, and water especially, you know. I, I must admit, um, if you look at it as a general thing, they're normally quite good, normally, but it does seem to be in that part of the world, in London, uh, where you get this all the time, which does tend to mean to me that, that obviously the, the biggest difficulty must be closing a road and being able to fix things. But I just don't see how anybody can be given a bonus of any sort when people are going through this now. I just don't understand that one. Exactly. You get a bonus for, for, you know, for, for bad management. How can you get a bonus for bad management? It, you know, people are losing money while, you know, the, the, the shops are flooded or wherever. You know, you, it, it, it's a ridiculous thing. All these chief execs, they, they never brought to book about anything. Yeah. And they'll carry on doing exactly what they're doing and getting more and more money. You know, yeah. it, 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 but here in Spain, you know, you know, up here, what it's been for, for God knows how long now, about six, eight weeks. Yeah. Right. We're still 75% full. That's with the reservoirs plus the underground um, yeah. the, the, the underground chambers where the water is. And they've told us, and it's in uh, the Euro Weekly or the, the, the Post, that we've got enough water here to supply everybody till the end of 2023. Now then, that's what I call good management, looking ahead. Where, you know, where, when we can get it sorted, we'll get it sorted. Although, there you go. Although the but rest, in, the, as you say, in London, yeah, the rest of Spain, you can't really say the same because um, they're talking about capacity is down to about twenty three percent. What I just really can't understand is why people still are majoring on sending rockets to the moon so that we can have a picture of something that happened two hundred thousand years ago, and they can't use the water which is round us you know, 70% uh, of the planet yes. so we can feed and, and help to, you know, irrigate the land for the crops and the people that need the water to drink it. I just don't understand that one. No, I don't. And I don't get this sending sending these rockets up left, right and centre. Everybody's sending them all over the world. And then they come madding us about climate change. How does that work? You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. We're being manipulated. Yeah. Let's, let's go to the next one. Here we go. Correct. All right. Oh, right. 
Okay, now this is something that caught my eye, and it's something that um, I think we might just have listeners that want to think about this. The mum of three boys says she used a tip she's going to give us when one of her sons went missing while out shopping. Uh, so she wants us to share it as widely as possible. And uh, she shared the announcement uh, to TikTok, saying, if your child ever goes missing in a public place, heaven forbid, uh, if things obviously uh, happen to even the best parents. If you're at an amusement park, zoo, in the shopping places, whatever it is, and you look around and your child is no longer with you, what you want to do is you want to... Um, uh, start talking loudly looking for them. Don't start silently looking around for them. You want to look loudly, and what I mean by that is you start shouting their description while you're looking. I think I would know where she's coming from here because the tendency is people to come and sort of say, I, I don't suppose you've seen this person here, you know, I've lost my child. But if she's out saying it loudly, should anybody be out mischief-making, mischief then immediately people should be looking, shouldn't they? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. But the first thing to do is get hold of security because there's that many cameras there. Uh, tell them how old he is and uh, description and what he's wearing. And they blast it to everybody in that shopping precinct at the time. Yeah. You know, or at the zoo or wherever, you know, or, you know, uh, parks, you know, theme parks or whatever. Get everybody in, you know. But the, the main ones is get the security, and they'll they'll blast it out all the way around the shopping malls and the the, the zoos and the parks and all that. You yeah. know, it's all right walking around going Timothy with a red jacket and blue pants and white trainers. Uh, where are you? You know, and and asking it. Well, you're only you're only getting odd people. You know, Go or somebody might think, oh, she's she's a bit mad, you know. Yeah. But put it on the security and let you know they soon find them. Well, hopefully, I was going to bring that point in because we had that little boy uh, went missing in uh, Liverpool, and of course Jamie Bulger was found murdered yeah. by two lads. And you've got it all on the cameras; people can see it on the cameras. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right. Straight for the cameras, straight for the control, and keep talking to people as you're doing it. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah. she's got half the thing right there. But, of course, uh, our next one, actually, is a little bit uh, connected with this because it's this business of TikTok. So stand by. Okay. Okay, so here it is, and uh, something that, again, uh, parents are being warned over a TikTok craze where schoolgirls pose in their uniforms for cash. And these are obviously for uh, sick groomers who are out doing all this sort of stuff. Videos of the girl, uh, girls using hashtags aimed at enticing sugar daddies were circulating for months on the app. Uh, predators could be seen commenting, asking for the teens to follow and private messaging them. Uh, the Sunday Mirror was reporting this particular story. One girl was branded sexy by a follower, while another had posted a video of her dancing in uniform, uniform when she was 15. A creep also told the teen to put a camera in her bedroom on one 
TikTok post. Now, you've got daughters, um, or, you know, you, you had daughters, I had sons. Um, it must be more of a worry, I think, for daughters, although these days I think it doesn't make any odds what you are. I think uh, people need to be on the guard for everything, don't they? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, girls especially, really. But... Um, you see, you you got paedophiles, you've got all these weirdos, you know. But what, what, why can't TikTok see what's happening and close them down? Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, young girls that are going in the bedroom from school and then they, they, they're looking for sugar daddies and, you know, hang on, there'll be no sugar daddies, trust me. It could be some pervert that, you know, wants to look at you and then from... You're doing a dance in your in your school uniform, then they'll be saying, "Well, let me see you're in your, your knickers and bra or whatever," and, the, and then it just all leads on again, and then you know you're just looking for trouble. But as I say, we've always said that you know the, this Wi-Fi thing is a great thing, but as long as it's been you know uh, uh, covered, and you know, and when there's when there's a problem, all these firms, TikTok and Facebook and all them, should shut them down. You know, I have to be honest. No, you just let it carry on. I, I think another thing: parents should be very careful about what they allow their children to do, because you know, any child, take ourselves. If we were back in the day and we had the phones, we'd be working out how to use things so that our parents couldn't see. Blah de blah. Um, you, you see, the thing is, you've got all these kids these days. They look intelligent. You give them a phone, and they're not intelligent. You see. You know, putting on my teaching app for a minute. There's ages and stages. When you're teaching things, uh, if you just teach people the periphery, like, you know, the, oh, you've got to be careful because there's predators about, you then need to be really showing them in depth what a predator can do that will mislead those kids into thinking that something is safe when it isn't. They don't really seem to be able to do that. I mean, we, we've just had a very tragic thing, and I'm sure you would have seen some of it. I, I wanted not to really get too involved with it, but, you know, this poor child that eventually they've had to turn off his life support machine because he was in, involved in something with the TikTok game. You know, um, these things are wicked. And unfortunately, um, you know, I'm not even convinced that children should be using the phone, period. I, I have the feeling that maybe uh, some adults just give... I've seen adults giving a phone or a tablet or something to just keep a kid occupied. I mean, that's utterly ridiculous, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, you, you, I mean I've, I've got three granddaughters... Right, and a grandson, and they they go on, but they've got theirs just on. They set theirs just on certain ones, you know, that to, for their friends and this, that, and the other. But it's about talking to these kids. The parents should be talking to them. You get a lot of parents; they just give them a phone and go and do what you want. You know, we've gone through this before about parenting. You know, you, you, your mum would say to you, don't you dare go up there, you're going to, you know, and then fall out of a tree, don't come running to me when you broke your legs. You know, but you go and, you go and have a climb and you think, oh, hang on, if I fall here, uh, you know, there's a problem. But no, it's it's all behind closed doors. It's a different... That's the trouble. It's a different danger. I mean, you know, if somebody falls and they scrape the leg and hurt the hand or something like that, immediately you can see that. But when you've got a girl or a boy, you know, or anybody uh, who was looking at a telephone 
we don't know what's actually going into their brain. You can maybe um, have an idea because you've seen the material, but it doesn't really tell you how much and how deep that material has affected the brain of the child. And unfortunately, it's not just children. I mean, uh, quite honestly, I look at some of the adults and I'm thinking to myself, these adults, um, they, they don't understand. Well, I mean, the obvious one is how stupid you look when you've got some of these fashions that go around these days. I mean, you know, it's very subjective. I agree. Uh, people can turn around and say, yeah, you you, you, you're wrong and I'm right because uh, it's subjective but um, I think if you do look at some of the fashions people are not looking classy if they're not looking fashionable they certainly are not looking classy are they in what they're wearing I know I know it's not my type of fashion that I've seen this, these men's things you know when they come on telly at the London uh, you know shows with all these you know massive big designers and all that, and they come, and you go, what? You want to walk out in the street with some of them? Never mind, go to you know a do or go you know go and have a night out or a meal or something dressed like that. Well, we're it's losing, like, well, what's the world coming to here? Well, we're losing sanity because people are forgetting that you know, no matter how much spin, woke behaviour, whatever you're going to put on these things, if you go by the statistics, you'll be into the high nineties probably, um, or certainly the mid-90s, knowing that you're a boy or a girl. I think there's no doubt in my mind about that one. And I remember when Boy George turned up, and I thought at the time, this is not right. You know, this was early 80s, if I'm not, not, not uh, remembering it incorrectly. And I thought at the time, that is going to confuse people. And therefore, you know, then people are going to have lots of problems which are tacked on to these things. It's all very well, but it isn't just the quickest thing that comes to mind, uh, which is the problem. Very often the problem's hidden, hidden by other things, isn't it? Yeah, you see, I mean, like your Gary Glitters and, you know, and, and all that. They, they were dressing, you know, with all the glitter stuff in. It was like that, you know, glam rock, you know, era. But then they start taking it further and further and further, you know, that all of a sudden everybody's dressing about in uh, sequins and God knows what, you know, that, oh, you know, there's nothing better than see somebody either casually smart or or dolled up to knock her with a suit shirt and tie on. You know what I mean? That, but yeah. as I say, I'm probably one of these dinosaurs, like, you know, but well, that's I, how I, I admit, like to go out. Yep, yeah, I admit I'm the, I'm the same, but... Uh... It's all about class and standards, and I have to say it's not our generation. It's the generation that went before us that were classy. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next one. Stand by. Okay. Okay, this one is right up your street, Neil. There we go. Death by Dangerous Cycling. This is the latest proposal put forward by the UK Transport Secretary Grant Shapps in response to the increasing number of cyclists on the UK's roads. Um, he doesn't impress this man, by the way, although this is a good thing that they should be doing. Announced on Saturday, August the 6th. Now, this proposal seeks to adjust the law which currently restricts the sentence for any cyclist found guilty of killing a pedestrian. Uh, it's only two years at the moment. 
uh, considered a legal loophole. Shaps wants to see that closed, and cyclists who kill other road users are charged in the same way as motorists. He's looking to add the proposal to the transport bill due before Parliament this coming autumn. Uh, this is, uh, he outlined his reasons why he believed a law was needed. He said uh, the, the need is to impress on the cyclists the real harm they can cause when speed is combined with a lack of care. A selfish minority of cyclists appear to believe that they are somehow immune to red lights. We need to crack down on this disregard for road safety. Relatives of victims have waited too long for this straightforward measure. The proposal is not new with the government, uh, already undertaken a consultation on the laws governing cyclists four years ago. The proposals come as new research suggests Britons are turning to bikes as the cost of living crisis bites, with campaigners arguing that cycling has benefits to health, which I don't think we disagree with, wealth, and the environment. The number of cyclists on the roads has rocketed since the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Uh, obviously, they're talking about rising fuel costs and health scares. Um, OK, obviously, from what you've read so far or what we've talked about so far, what do you think? Of course, they should be made. If you kill somebody with a bike, it's exactly the same as killing somebody with a car. And, and the sentence for people killing other, you know, pedestrians in cars is not heavy enough. You know, they say, oh, well, uh, seven years, which is three and a half, as we know, and if you have a good behaviour, you could be out in three. No, but it's the rules of the law on the road, the road traffic, you know, the, the um, what did we have look up, look for, you know, when we were passing our test? The, um, well, the, the highway come code. on, Vince, you're the one. The, the highway code. Highway code. Yeah, the highway code. The, they never, they never look at that and, and never think, oh, well, so that's a red light, I'll just go through here. Somebody's crossing the road when it's, you know, lights are on red, boom, bang, they crack the red on floor, they die. Two-year well, maximum. Well, Please we, do me a favour. I mean, we, we know of at least one or two people who uh, have died subsequent to this sort of problem. And I'm looking at uh, something that appeared on Sky News. Uh, cycling on weekdays had risen by 47% and on weekends by 27% in just one year. Campaigners have been urging authorities to do more to help people make the switch to cycles. OK, that's all very well. What we're talking about, we're, we're looking for safety for us. Few think the government has gone far enough. Duncan Dallymore, the uh, spokesperson for Cycling UK, has said that most think the roads are not safe enough to cycle on. Many councils have made efforts to encourage cycling by setting up cycle lanes and also providing finance schemes. But safety remains a concern. Many of the roads are not geared up for cyclists and there remains an anti-cyclist culture amongst a large section of the population. That anti-cyclist culture is evident in the death by dangerous cycling law proposed by the Transport Secretary. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it wasn't until recent years that you could walk around. Uh, now, I mean, you're going to develop a nervous twitch when you're looking for these blessed e-scooters and cyclists coming at you from all directions. I mean, by all means, yeah. make it safe for the cyclists, but for crying out loud, make it a lot safer for us, please. Exactly. These now with these electric things that come whizzing past you, they're on pavements. No, you know you're supposed to have you're supposed to have helmets on, lights on. You, you see them all over the place now. These uh, where they just stood on it like a like an old scooter that we had. 
you know, that you used to use with your leg. Now it's flying past you. Cyclists, listen, they, 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 we've got more cycle lanes than soft mic. They don't pay a penny to road tax. Plus cyclists don't need insurance in case they scratch somebody's car or they run somebody over or they kill somebody. No, we do. We have to have that. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to ban cycling. Just cycle by the rules. Single file. You know, so people can get past you. Stop blocking the road up with three and four abreast and this, that, and the other, thinking, you know, you, you're the best cyclist in the world and you're going to, you know, you're going to win the Tour de France and this, that, and the other. Well, of course. No, you're not. And 50 odd year old men in Lycra with, with a ponytail stuck out at the back of their helmet, they want to have a looking mirror before they go out. <laughs> If you look at Spain, uh, we can actually give you a, 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 a bigger picture because basically we have these peloton. We have people around this area come in teams to practice. OK, so if you're riding or driving down the the, uh, the road behind these peloton, the, um, the law in Spain now is that we would be prosecuted if we went past them. Um, uh, and if we wanted to get past maybe a 20-long string on the peloton. Uh, no, we've got to wait around and hang about. OK, um, I don't have a big problem with this because, yes, we all drive too fast and it needs slowing down. I agree with that. But for us as pedestrians to be walking round and having people on bikes hurtling towards you and people on scooters doing the same... And then giving you the evil eye as if you shouldn't be walking, I think this has now become the wrong way round. I think they've forgotten that the pedestrian should be the number one priority for safety. Uh, would you agree with me on that one? I'm, I'm with you with that one. I'm definitely with you. Because sometimes they have a cycle lane and they still want to go on the pavement. Yes. Hang on a minute. They spend hundreds of thousands put, put a cycle lane in and they all want to come up pavement where people are walking. How does that work? I'm with you 100% on that. Yeah. Okay, well, I think the other thing that you've said, which I totally agree with, I think the time has come, if they need money, yes, it doesn't have to be as much of a road tax as the car, but for goodness sake, why should it be free? Why should it be free? We exactly. pay for the roads. Exactly. The, the roads aren't paid for by the councils. I mean, they can pretend it is, but if we don't pay our taxes, we don't have roads. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I'm all first. Uh, I'm exactly. all, and also having the insurance, I think, is a, a mighty uh, important thing. They should have some form of insurance should they knock you or I or somebody else down. Exactly. I'm 100% with you on that. Okay, uh, well, yeah, but one of their excuses, one, just hang on this, one of their excuses is, well, I have a car at home, so I've already paid my road tax, so I don't need it for my bike. Hang on a minute. I have two cars and a scooter, as in a, a motor scooter, yeah, and I have to pay on all three. So what they're saying is, if I have a car, my bike should be free. It should be on me. No, it, that's your car insurance, not your bicycle insurance. That's what gets up my nose when they, we, they come up with that argument. Yeah, totally with you. OK, here's the next one. Just 
just a reminder that you're with Neil Colborne and Vince Tracy and we're looking at the news from Europe and in particular from the UK. A mother has sparked a fierce debate. This is all online, of course, as you expect today. Everybody has to go online. They can't talk to each other face to face and you can be anonymous, etc. Uh, after asking whether she should make her 18 year old son pay rent. Now he's working. Uh, this lady obviously wanted to be anonymous uh, because she was obviously stoking the fuel and uh, thought to be UK based. Took to parenting forum Mums Net to get together opinions on her dilemma, revealing she would like to continue supporting the teenager, but it's a struggle. Her post sparked a diverse range of views from people who say that they would never charge one of their children to rent to live at home to others who charge their grown-up kids for everything, even if they're unemployed. In her uh, post, the woman wrote, My 18-year-old son finished college this year and is now working at a local hotel. It was a part-time job but is now supposed to be full-time as he won't be going to higher education. Uh, so this is it. He's now in the workforce and is an adult. At home, there's myself, my husband and a 16-year-old in further education. And we're finding money is really tight at the moment. At what point do we stop paying for our son? I don't mean food and household stuff. I mean his haircuts, clothes, prescriptions, etc. He's working and wants to be treated as an adult. I think he should pay for anything that's for him. And a comment that I think is interesting from London, the Countess says, uh, your child should pay for his own clothes, haircut, shoes, mobile phones, cinema, and evenings out with his friends as you want to help and support him. Take a little housekeeping from him. It will not cover what he is costing you in food and water bills, but it will help you a bit and help him learn to manage his finances. What do you reckon? Oh, well, uh, when did we get threatened with being thrown out when we started work? I started work at uh, 15, right? And as uh, soon as I got there, I think I think my first waste packet was £2.10 and, and I gave my mum 10 shillings because she was giving me my buses every day and I was living at home, you know. And then everything, you know, everything I got at home was fine, you know. So 10 bob, you know, I used to give to my mum every week. But then, but she, if I needed anything, she she'd get it for me. But you've got to you've got to start charging them. Otherwise, they think everything's going to be for free for the rest of their life. You know, when when I when I bought the house, my dad helped me for, do it up and and things like that. He didn't charge me anything, but he knew that I was coughing up, say as I say, ten bob. And when the wage went up, but I I, I was left home at uh, seventeen, got my own house at seventeen, and and you know everything were all right. But these, if, if you keep carrying on, not charging them anything, and they'll think they can go out on a night and buy a new £100 jeans and 150 quid trainers and a nice T-shirt or whatever, and, oh, it's all right, my mum will pay for it, or my mum and dad will pay for it. You can't carry on with life like that. They need to learn the lessons about what life is all about. And I'm with you totally. I, I started work at 16, only just 16, but I, I started at 16, and uh, basically I think it was £5 a week that I got. Immediately £2.50, I had to cut it in half, and I gave um, 
well, all that went to the expenses of going to work, you know, like your dinner money and your traffic, yeah. you know, your bus and boat return into Liverpool, etc. And out of the £2.50 uh, that was left, uh, well, it was split evenly, uh, half to my mum and half to myself. I didn't even, it didn't cross yeah. my mind to query it because basically, you know, my mum was there, she was looking after us, she was cooking, she was doing all the cleaning and, you know, getting our clothes ready and things like that. And I could see quite um, easily that my dad was out working and it didn't didn't cross my mind that um, you don't pay for your, your keep at home. It's just sort of something I grew up with. Uh, but there is a, a exactly. generation growing up differently, isn't there? Yeah, but you, you, I give my mum that 10 bob. I'd get 10 bob. I'd probably get, you know, a, a pound back. You know, as you say, with we, we your bus fares and, uh, you know, your sandwiches or whatever, you know, everything, you know, you, you, you're washing, you're cleaning, you're ironing, you know. If, you know, it's just, it, it's just a dumb thing. You dip into the, you know, into the pot. I remember one particular day I'd gone up to a girlfriend in Liverpool, which I'd stayed overnight, um, but I'd gone from work and I'd also, I'd asked the uh, I'd asked the, the people in the wages department if they'd give me bags of shillings. Uh, so I could sort of sort one bag, a little bag for, of shillings for my mum, one bag for me, this, uh, you know, just <laughs> to arrange me. Anyway, uh, I was running for the bus and I had to go and get this last bus, which took me down to the pier head to get the boat to get across and get the bus back the other side up to where I lived. And I was bombing down the road and they got stopped by the police. And, of course, they did the usual. They did the, the stop and search. And they found on me bags of shillings. And they were, wanted to know if I'd done the metres. And, of course, you know... Oh, yeah. Yeah, shilling it, metres, yeah. are yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, of course, the thing is, <laughs> you know, how on earth they thought I'd have, I'd have time to do the metres and pack it all into little shilling, um, little packs of uh, whatever it would be, 12 shillings or something like that to a pound, wasn't it? You know, um, but, yeah. I, I mean, it was just shows you how different times were and what we'd expect. And, you know, I, I just... I, it didn't cross my mind. And in fact, when you look at Spain here, a lot of older men, you know, they live at home till even 40-year-olds. I've seen them out shopping with the mum. So it's no wonder they yeah. can buy themselves a reasonably nice house later on in life or, you know, take over the parents' property because they haven't sort of lost. I know that the first part of my life, um, you know, was difficult to start saving and getting a bit of money together. So, you know, I look back and I think, yeah, that's why maybe I, I didn't get on the property ladder straight away. But um, anyway, things improve. So, yes, I think on balance, I think it's totally wrong for a parent um, to not take something from the child. I think that if they uh, are looking after the kid and they're doing what mums do, they should have some recompense into the family budget. That's how I feel. Exactly. And I'm with you with that 100%. Great. OK, so we're on that one together. Here we go with the next one. Good. Um, emphasising to our listeners we're looking at things that are in the papers but maybe are not being discussed as much as maybe they should be 
So this one is a single mother of three, and she's explained why she has never um, punished or she rewards her children rather than punish them and why she never will. This is uh, Hannah Canavan. She's 33, and she's a home education coach from South London. And she decided to adopt a gentle approach to parenting after working in a pupil referral unit for troubled children. She says people think her children misbehave because she chooses not to punish them. But that is not the case, according to Hannah, giving natural consequences rather than punishments uh, to the kids I worked with helped their behaviour. Hannah said, I've never punished or rewarded my children and it really works for me. If you look at the prison system, you can see punishment doesn't work as there wouldn't be second or third time offenders there if that was the case. People think that my kids must be misbehaving because I don't punish them. But that's not the case at all. I don't shout or take something away from them. They're not scared of me as a result. They respect me and listen to me because I'll calmly explain why they shouldn't do something and they learn from it. Now, I'll go to a comment uh, and another man with no name decided to write, uh, she's just fortunate she's got decent children, intelligent, don't need to be disciplined, they're smart enough to figure out what's right and wrong, have uh, a natural instinct about it, you can talk to them and they can reason. Uh, this approach doesn't work with the dumber ones, you need a different approach. I think I would be tending to be totally with that particular guy. What do you think? Exactly. Yeah. 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 You're going to get kids that are really. If you start when they're young enough, teaching them right from wrong, and and don't be, you know, interrupting people and screaming and shouting and bawling and this that, and the other, it, they'll grow with you. You know, they'll come along and grow with you. But you've got to have boundaries and you've got to have punishment. Otherwise, some of them will just go willy-nilly off the rails and then it carries on into the teens and then, you know, then they, they start becoming parents and, you know, it just goes on and on and on. You see, I'm with him what I said on that. Uh, you've got to have boundaries and you've got to have punishments. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm looking at uh, Hannah and what she was talking about and I'm remembering uh, a school down in Penzance and there was a kid of six, six, Neil, got hold of a television set in the school and threw it through a window. Now, you know, you see, Hannah and her cohort would be there going, oh, come along, little Willie, you know, it's not a good idea to throw the television through the window. Crash! The TV's gone through. What's she going to do then? Oh, oh, Willie, oh, my dear little boy. You know, sorry, some kids do not respond to the way that she was. I looked at the picture of her kids, and they did look very nice, actually. Uh, but that's the problem. With, with some kids, you can see it fairly quickly. And you can see the devil in some kids very, very quickly also. Um, you know, uh, sometimes you want to be nice. I used to go into do supply teaching. And you'd go into a school, and some people in the staff room would say before anything they'd say oh you're taking uh, whatever the name of the class was <sighs> be careful of x y and z and they'd tell you who to look out for and at first i used to go well no i don't really want to be prejudiced i don't want to go in thinking that you know i'll be against a kid when i've never even met them and later in the day they were always right and i was usually wrong so it's all very well hannah being nice but 
some kids just don't respond to that, do they? No, no. This Anna, she, she'll have it taught them right from wrong from when they were kids. Yeah. And they turned out to be really nice kids. That's fine. That, that, it's not one, you know, it's not one size fits all this with kids. You can have two, say you've got three kids, two of them might be perfectly well-behaved, well-mannered, this and the other, and the other one is like the devil, you know. Absolutely. It's, it's like, well, hang on a minute. You know, I, I brought them up all the same, but one of them's going berserk, you know. Absolutely right. I mean, I remember uh, when I, I started teaching, doing adult education, then I realised that the problems were certainly 16 or so. So I went and re-educated, retrained, and started to work with uh, the teenagers. And then the more that you work with them, you realise it's the uh, about the 11-year-old. And I got called, you know, called in to uh, did some more retraining. Got called in to do supply into the 11-year-old, the top infants, if you like, primary school, if you, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but there was always a little group of about seven or eight kids in the class who were intimidating already because their parents never challenged their behaviour. And unfortunately, the parents would then come down and challenge the teacher when the teacher is doing his or her best to get some sense of responsibility into the ones that they've sent to school with no responsibility at all. So, yeah, I'm with you. That's exactly yeah. what the problem was. Yeah, and, and then they, they go then and think they can start bullying teacher because when if they go home and tell their mum and dad, the mum and dad come start challenging teacher for their bad behaviour. Hang on a minute. No, you stay out of it. You've sent your kids to that school. If they're behaving badly... Then there's a punishment there. Well, there's a you story know. here. But these, well, there's no respect then for teachers. The same with the police and everything. Nobody's brought up with any respect for anybody else now. No, nope. that's the problem. And and I think that we'll see exactly what we're up against when I show you this this story coming up now. Okay, this was heavy going, and it was the parents who tortured their baby so severely he lost both his legs, are set to be released in a matter of days after serving only half of the prison sentence. Tony Hudgel's birth parents, Jodie Simpson, 24, and Anthony Smith, 47, were sentenced to 10 years in prison in February 2018. But the pair have served only five years and are now set to be free in days, with Simpson due to be released next week and Smith at the end of August. Tony, this poor kid, is now seven, suffered from broken fingers and toes, torn ligaments and contracted sepsis after his birth parents left him to suffer for ten days before taking him to hospital. The boy's adopted mother, uh, Paula Hudgel, 54, who has spent years campaigning for tougher punishments for child abusers, described the news as sickening and said it feels like a blow to the stomach. Uh, there's a guy or somebody of uh, Sankus, uh, from Chipping upon Thames, wrote as a comment: "The government are determined not to prosecute anyone. It would seem probably to save money on prisons. It's pretty obvious that they care little for the law-abiding or the victims of crime. What other explanation could there be for taking a campaign by this lady uh, and the MP to uh, get them to to get them to do anything? I mean, if you think about it." Um, I, I wouldn't let those people out of prison, personally. 
I mean, there's a kid, there's no legs, uh, and lost his fingers and things, and they're now out of prison, and they'll just go on and do it to somebody else, won't they? Well, they'll come out, they'll get together, they'll have another kid, and they'll start doing exactly the same. You know, it's five years. You know, child uh, child abuse and this, that, and the other. It's ridiculous. Did, how many times do we have to keep saying the punishment doesn't fit the crime? They'd, they'd have to be there forever, and if, if they were ever let loose, uh, he'd have to have the, the snip, and she'd have to have, you know, so they couldn't have any more kids. Well, that, you know, that it, it's absolutely disgusting. The law. Yeah, that that comment uh, really read because it, it was confusing the way I read it out. What other explanation could there be for it taking a campaign by this lady in the MP to get them to do anything? You see, you know, this poor kid's got a lifelong sentence. It's all very well, Hannah and her nice soft approach, which works for her children. But when she then refers to people in prison and uh, the, you, the the punishment doesn't work, uh, what do you do with two people who are, who, who are quite happy to see a little lad lose his legs. I mean, I'm furious with with this when I see it, and I really do feel. I am with with all of them. Yeah, there's a few of them kids been on, haven't they? You yes. know that their lives are absolutely ruined, and they've they've had uh, good enough. They've gone to other people that are really looking after them. But isn't it funny that you take them to hospital? The hospital then get onto the the the, the council and this this child, you know, the child thing in in everybody's community, and nobody ever gets fired. You know, him at the top of the social services and this, that, and the other. None of them ever, you know, get taken to book. And, you know, and then and then they, they go to court, and as you say, oh, you get 10, yeah. Well, we're coming out in five, so don't worry about it. We'll start up again when we come out. It's an absolute disgrace. You see, over my lifetime, and I think that we've spoken a bit like this in previous times, um, you, you know, you see these Hannahs and the nice, soft approach and because they work for certain few people, and maybe for Hannah's children because she's had them from the word uh, word go, uh, then they criticise the jails. And you only need to look at the sort of people that you're working with in jail. Um, I don't know about you, Neil. I would not particularly enjoy being a prison warder. You know, you wouldn't feel safe going into the prisons half the time, would you? No, no. Not on, not on your nilly, because there, there's all sorts going on in these prisons. You know, the drugs, the phones, this and the other. They're running, you know, drug dealing from a prison cell. How does that work? You know, build more prisons on these islands. And when they get sent there, they've got to pay to, to get them fed. Why should we keep paying for feed them? You know, and, and they've got televisions and they can, they can go in gym and they can do this and the other. It's like an holiday camp. They can study. It's an absolute nonsense. Yeah, they can study, they can do anything, and they they, they come out like yeah. uh, saints again and, um, you know, give it a couple of years and who knows. I mean, the exception proves the rule. It's not the other way around. But I think a society at the moment seems to be based on punish the majority of ordinary people at the expense of a few who basically are creating the problems. I think it's a general it's a general theme that seems to come out all the time, isn't it? Yeah, it's always the same. It's the same story. It's like, hang on, you were sorting this out five years ago and nothing's changed. Nothing. You know, the, the sentencing is ridiculous. 
So I've got to say a big thank you, Neil. Um, and we look forward to chatting around this time next week. No problem, Vince. I'll speak to you then.